Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bork. And Bill, we're going to do an announcement and our plugs on the front end before we talk about the ultimate thing to talk about, literally, the eschaton, <laughs> the last, the ultimate the things. We're going to talk about ultimate things. And, um, oh, Chris Lawson, by the way, is saying that he's loving um, the nerd fest, the theology nerd fest. Well, we... We'd like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We are trying to be appropriately nerdy. And, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't mind being nerdy in the least. I mind a lot, but that's okay. It's uh, a different generation. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. being nerdy is in kind of now. In my generation. It, Geeky and nerdy are different. Yeah, it got you, it got you locked in a... We should do a, a whole podcast up. at some point on mm. geeks and nerds. All right. I would like to do that. All right, we can do that. Put it on the whiteboard up put there. Put it on the whiteboard. We just scribble. We just we you know we always look to the whiteboard. We never put anything. Well, you yeah. put something up there. Joe, something. I had some <laughs> some thoughts. There was eat at Joe's. That's what it says. Yeah, right eat at Joe's. All right. So first, uh, a an, an announcement, a request. So we are going to change our format in the new year. Not really at the content of our conversations, but we're going to do like a stock intro. We're growing up. We're growing up. We're not going to use uncopyrighted music anymore. Um, so we need an intro mm -hmm. to the podcast, mm -hmm. and we need some royalty-free music that you know is from. Is it's got the vibe of of, of our listenership, our our community that yeah. listens. So I, I'm submitting a 12th century chant. That's my vote. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I love that. I think I think I think everybody should submit those. Yeah. That they're very singable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, so we will, we will. Um, yeah, we, we will ask you to do that. Give us some ideas. Give us a musical idea and or you could submit to either. You could submit a piece of music and what you think should the intro should be the, to the podcast should right. be. Or and, you could do both. And we're actually going to have someone do a voiceover. So we may even, we may even select you to do the voiceover. We might even do that. Yeah. So if you uh, want to do that, uh, we can send us a voice sample, send us your ideas, and uh, and yeah. we will be cre credited forever in the credits of the outro of the yeah. podcast. Yeah, I don't think there's any liability. You'll just get credits. You'll just get credit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, oh, by the way, Chris did even did a hashtag hashtag Theology Nerd Fest. We should <laughs> that should be a ha hashtag. I like it. So that's our first thing. Second, we will be. In Washington, D.C. this Saturday at the Aldersgate United Methodist Church at 530 for their Saturday evening dialogue service hosted by Jason Michelli. We'll both be there. So if you want to see us in the flesh, trust trust me, if you thought there's more to us in person, there's less. Yeah. <laughs> Should we? Should we like? Um, yeah. Should we like try to book some place like a bar on the corner right after the service and just say, "Hey, we'll have a beer with somebody or something after." Somebody the service. wants to. We could yeah. do that. We could do that. Yeah. Some of us have to work next day, but we. Yeah. Uh, See, not me. Not Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'll be. I might even. I might spend the night. Who knows? All right. Well, I'll leave you down here. I'll leave you down. Yeah. There. Uh, so if if anybody's down there and wants to hang yeah. out with us, I mean, we'll put that let on social yeah, media. Let us know. Yeah. As Mark Levin says, I'll put it on my social sites. <laughs> Well, let us know. We'd love to have longer conversations with those of you in the greater DC area. Yeah, and you, I, we're you're more than willing to, or more than welcome to buy us drinks, and we're we're more than willing to have them bought for us. Yes, absolutely. So it's, you know, there we go. All right. So, Bill, let's get into it. Eschatology, Advent. So this we, is the counterintuitive thing, right? Like we're waiting, and yet are we waiting? We are, we aren't. There's this kind of tension because 
part of Christianity, part of it is, you know, in, in contrast right. to say traditional understanding of Judaism, the Messianism is uh, there's an alreadiness. Right. Um, there's still a not yetness, but but there's an alreadiness. Uh, and but yet, how do we sort of hold the tension between the alreadiness and the not yetness? And how do we think about ultimate things in this time where we play Christmas music before Black Friday? <laughs> go, well, <laughs> Bill Moore, go, Mister Boy. Uh, yeah, that was that was really an interesting setup you gave me there. Um, well, first of all, I think it's an idea I explored last week in, in my sermon in Advent one. Um, I see two really. One is kind of a nebulous problem, and it's more like a it's like a it's like a slow lingering problem. The other one's a more serious one. Uh, I think the problem of sentimentality that that so surrounds not only the season but um, even so much of popular Christianity. Um, that's kind of the the implication. There is a kind of triumphalism. You know, there is a sense where. If the only thing we believe as Christians is Christ has already come, everything's worked out, um, you know, there's no irony in the song of the angels, peace on earth. Uh, if you don't hear any irony in that, then you probably are going down the... The only irony is created by the little rocket man who's trying to drown out the angels. He's a sick little puppy. <laughs> yes, they both are. And... Um, <laughs> The angels and the rocket man. <laughs> uh, sure, whatever one you want to pick, Donald. But uh, no, this idea of sentimentality. The other thing you and I have talked about, which is going to be a few. Wait, are they Victoria's Secret angels? That's good. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, the problem of cynicism and anger. You know, all this kind of anger. And again, I think we should be angry about what has happened over the last week. What's happening in our country? But. You know, the adage in Ephesians to be angry and sin not probably has never been more important than now. Because I think unresolved— What about sin and don't be angry? Sin and don't—I don't think think you can do that. Well, you could. You can, but that's not quite where he wants to You could be very gluttonous. That could be your own verse. That could be Scott's verse. (laughs) Yes, it says sin bold. And first, Scott— Sin without anger. Sin without anger. Okay, happy sinners. In your your anger, do not sin— well, the whole point in your sin, don't be angry. <laughs> the whole the whole point is that you know that there is a place for anger. If you haven't seen the movie Three, well, I, I went to see it. I can never remember the name. Uh, three billboards outside of somewhere in Missouri. Oh, was that good with Woody Harrelson? Uh, it's amazing, but it's really one of the themes. That it's it's about redemption. It's about brokenness. It's about anger, though, too. And it's a really interesting study on anger. And I think this idea of what I see. Is, that is dangerous in a lot of evangelical circles, of particularly those who are more progressive, and just a lot of people in general, this anger, if it turns into cynicism about the church, about Christianity, you know, on one level, should we be shocked that a group of Christians are going to vote for a pedophile uh, to be senator? Actually, no. I mean, Christians have been doing stuff like that for a long time. All right. We can act like that's something that Christians don't do, but it hasn't been that long since Christians looked the other way. But by, by, by the religions in their backyard. B- Bill's penning a memoir. Cheer up, folks. The worst is yet to come. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, sometimes we, sh- we need to stop being shocked that Christians act in hypocritical ways and then justify them in the name of God. That's kind of been our history. 
the thing about the, the already and not yet about Advent reminds us that even though Christ has come, by recapturing the longing of the Hebrew prophets, as well as the eschatological text in the New Testament, we are reminded that um, Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and Jesus has been made Lord in heaven, but not everything is under his footstool to take the biblical passage. And so we live in very much an in-between time, which is a time of compromise, a time of doubt, a time of shadows instead of light. Um, If you strip away the romanticism of both the manger and what happens in the days leading up to that and the days that follow that, it's a very kind of very sad and tragic story um, of a woman who has to give birth to a child uh, without any of her kinswomen around them, which would be a totally unnatural event um, in most cultures for most of history. That alone, you know, all the other stuff going on in that story. Any daughter that born that way, dad must be a loser. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but it's okay. It's a terrible story, but we're going to make it great again because now we can say Merry Christmas. Mm. I feel I don't know if my Trump's getting better or worse, but uh, it's getting it's changing. But he's getting worse. So he's maybe getting you're worse. Going a I, I'm here. just going. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's very interesting. So this is partially too also uh, revisiting our theology and outline because we looked at Brian Garrish uh, and Jensen a little bit, and they have different approaches to <laughs> this. And yeah, it's interesting, right? Bart says a, a Christianity that's not thoroughly eschatological is no Christianity at all, right? Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a, it's not a nuanced statement. No, you know, let me, and I, I want to say two things that are, I think, equally true. Uh, I really dramatically disagree with Garish's conclusions. And I would be tempted to have theology students read his summaries because his summaries and overview, he does in a few pages. Uh, and actually, this is, I think, Jensen's strength in his systematics. But in, in some chapters— in, I won't even be tempted to read. <laughs> I'm beyond temptation to things like that. Reading, caring. <laughs> but Garish really summarizes biblical text. He summarizes—he does in about four or five pages a remarkable overview of the idea of the afterlife, the various shades of it in the Hebrew scriptures— uh, the first century, you know, Second Temple Judaism, and, you know, a summary of the New Testament, and then jumps to Calvin and Schleimacher, and even some of the more, you know, the modern liberal uh, thinkers that, that shape that, that part of the tradition. It's, it really is an amazing He does summary. close with a quote from James Gustafson, who my teacher, an atheist, Jeff Stout, said, the problem with liberals like James Gustafson is he gives atheists like me less and less in which to disbelieve. Right. No, I, <laughs> I mean, at, at the end, you kind of... You know, uh, they have, uh, you know, at the end, when you get done reading stuff, you can say, they have taken my Lord away and I know not where they laid him. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But anyway, but I think it's helpful. I mean, it's it's not, I mean, he was a brilliant teacher and uh, that comes through in in his writing. Yeah. And he actually says, it's interesting, um, he kind of ends with Calvin and, and then and talks about how Calvin's vision, you know, of, of glory to God alone is an austere version of Christian faith. 
It's not peculiar to him. James Gustafson writes, the only good reason for claiming to be Christian is that we continue to be empowered, sustained, renewed, informed, and judged by Jesus' incarnation of theocentric piety and fidelity. I'll say, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I don't know why no one wrote a folk song with that title. But, <laughs> but a theocentric piety goes against the grain of humankind's natural self-estimate and aspirations. Right. And it's not likely to be as popular as some other Gospels that Gustafson excoriates. Uh, and he says still, you know, he talks about modern science, or just not think that more highly of ourselves. And the old motto, Sola, Soli Deo Gloria, gives the Christian a better reason to think with sober judgment. It determines the second part of my, esch- my eschatological thesis. For a Christian faith, the meaning of the epic of humanity can only be understood as relative to the manifestation of God's glory as creator and redeemer, in which the final meaning of the cosmos consists. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's, he does kind of circle around and some levels embraces, well, you and it's not even, we don't think it's an agnosticism about is there life after death. He pretty much doesn't. Uh, yeah, that. I would guess it's uh, it's not a 50-50 thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but, you know, I, think, I would guess he's uh, he would be pleasantly surprised. But, it, you know, it is a, it is a helpful reminder that um, there are only a couple possible references to the afterlife in the Old Testament canon. And so that the faith of Israel was sustained uh, without a clear view of, of the personal continuation of, yeah. the, of the individual. And I think that it was an end in of itself because God is God. That's why you worship God, not because of any kind of eternal reward. Yeah, and I think that you know, it's interesting because N.T. Wright says, you know, that the resurrection was a metaphor for return from exile that by the time of Jesus became a literal belief of the final destiny for mm. a group of Jews, which depending on what part of Jude, of the Judaisms of the day you were in, um, you know, it might be these group of righteous Jews or these or these or these, but it actually evolved from a metaphor to actual literal belief in a, a future state that was embodied. Yeah, and I also think that um, the middle, the middle part of that, and again, we're speculating because you know, but if you read uh, Old Testament pseudepigrapha as well as the Book of Daniel, it seems like what drove the idea of personal resurrection first was this idea of the resurrection of the unjust for judgment because they you know how you know how come the just you know and righteous die innocently and the evil you know get away with it particularly in the backdrop of the massacres under Antiochus the fourth um during the Maccabean wars or right before the Maccabean wars so there's a sense where it's not only the metaphor becoming a personal reality but it's also before it's about you know, I want to go to the great fishing hole in the sky. It's about why does God allow evil? You know, why do the unjust prosper? Why the innocent righteous are crushed? So I think that's that's a very different emphasis than often Christians talk about it. Do you ever have these nightmares where you're like, you transported back to school days and you have to take a test that you didn't study for or something? Yes, or I show up to for a lecture I'm not ready to do. Or, yeah. Or I didn't actually finish my... 11th grade English class or whatever, you know? Yeah. If I was in like a spelling bee person, I think my network would be spell pseudepigrapha. <laughs> P-S-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-
you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Charlotte Donlin, Stephen Rowe, Andrew Stravitz, Jim Kress, and Liam O'Brien. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Yeah, no, I think that that, yeah, and so, and also, I mean, I think the this notion... So we had that sense from, you know, this evolving thing that becomes a metaphor and then right. out of various kind of cultural and emotional forces. But Jensen puts the resurrection front and center. Right. And I think it's interesting, too, because Jensen's God need or, or desires to have us right. in the story. Mm-hmm. We're his body yeah. uh, in a way that I think... Garish would well, Garish is British. He would find it um unseemly. <laughs> <laughs> what did you know to uh uh what did Colbert say that Theresa May is like this is uh you know, she had this just bit a bitter kind of retort, so proper in English. You need to put it in a tweet. Uh, so uh, awful, awful, so very, very sorrowful. <laughs> 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 For him to get it, you need to put it in a tweet. You can almost you know, you can almost say Garish being offered, you can be one with the divine for eternity. No, thank you. No hugging. No, thanks. No, hugging. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you very much. That's why, like, that's you know, much too close. That was the uh, the big uh, slogan against an independent Scotland, sort of Tory Scotland movement was, no thanks. No thanks. Which John Oliver's like, as an Englishman, the only more emotional thing you could say is, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Number two would be, no thanks. No thanks. Who cares? No thanks. You know, I think, you know, after all those centuries of the Vikings just messing with them, they kind of just got over emotions. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we build something, they're going to pillage it. Let's just let it go. The men of the North. Men of the North, yes. But, um, you know, I do think, you know, one of the things I think is helpful reading someone like Garish is that it does remind you, uh, getting back to sentimentality, how much sentimentality uh, and actually paganism kind of creeps in around our discussions about death and life everlasting. And uh, even, you know, even funeral practices, which are so pagan yeah. in so many ways. And I think it's, you know, we don't know there's an afterlife. Okay. We believe there's an afterlife. You know, our hope is in the resurrection, but it's hope. And the fact is, Paul's rhetoric... Like, I don't know that they're really taking my recyclables to someplace that they're being reused. <laughs> I believe it, though. I mean, there's a truck. It's yellow. 
<laughs> or at least the yellow lid. They separated. It's two different trucks. Two different trucks. I never see it though. Yeah. Could, you think they're just going to the same thing? They just driving around a bit and throwing it into the Delaware. Same yeah, file. Yeah, yeah, but we should follow them. That should be our investigative report. Uh, but no, I do think the sense of, on one level, the dramatic hope, a hope against hope, as Paul says, an amazing phrase that Dr. Becker of blessed memory used to hold on to, hope against hope. Uh, and I think it helps correct our... Even what Garish talks about, the egotism around a lot of ideas that really, it's funny, ironically, so much of our ideas around the afterlife in many ways are an attempt to buffer ourselves from the living God and to exaggerate our own sense of self. Yeah, I think that's, there's probably something. Well, he talks about egotism in some levels. Yeah, yeah the desire of it. I'm, I need to continue. I need to, I need to continue to exist. And somehow that the universe ceases to exist without me. You know who's the least funny philosopher in history? Uh, that could be a pretty big list. Well, it can't be a big list if I'm saying the least. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I'm making it normal. Right, okay, <laughs> who could be nominees? That's what I'm yeah. sorry. Well, right. I, I th but I actually think this is... I think this is almost indisputable when I think about All it. All right, there we go. I'm ready. Martin Heidegger. All right. <laughs> yeah. Because... The finite swallows the infinite. And so you, I mean, the whole project, not that there's not really interesting insights in Heidegger about like being, like Dasein, being, and how like this concept of being, what's really real is actually, you know. Being there. But yeah, being, it's, it's more subjective and more situated than we think. And there's a lot, but is that the whole project of philosophy? Yeah. And then what's interesting is that um, it, without that, can there be humor? Because it, it, like for Hegel, right? And I'm, I'm also quoting uh, from, well, paraphrasing, fresh in my mind, from Todd McGowan's Only a Joke Can Save Us, The Theory of Comedy. But he contrasts Hegel, because for Hegel, like, it, he thinks, well, McGowan th it thinks that comedy comes from the strange interaction of lack and excess. It hmm. starts in the human existence. Like, you, you have this wound psychically. You're torn from the source person. And society uh, plays on your lack, right? Mm -hmm. And says, well, if, if you, you'll feel better if you do this job and play this role and have more and have other people to continue the lack story and figure it out. And then excess, well, you know, you play fantasy football or get drunk at a strip club or, you know, you play golf or do whatever. Like, the, there are these excesses. Moral and hearty. Or, Laurel Hardy, or you're in the bunker, or whatever. Access no, I mean, is, that's, yeah, that's Laurel Hardy, yeah, 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 yeah. Or or chaplains, the the little tramp, right? Yeah. So yeah. so you have this like in this this um sort of interplay between lack and excess, and and when it, and that, that interplay hits you in the spontaneous weird way, out of that he thinks is the comedic, hmm. and I think that like this kind of the, I think there's this dark Heideggerian hmm. thing under Garish where the desire of the finite to swallow the infinite is actually dehumanizing. Whether, whether or not there's a God, it would still be dehumanizing mm. because mm. you, part of this tension of lack and excess is what makes, you know, things um, funny, like comedically funny. Like, no, you don't need comedy for laughter, right? You could laugh at things that aren't funny. Right. Like, you'd be tickled. You could see something that's cute. That's not comedic. But comedy comes with this strange interaction. And, and he actually argues in this book, it's interesting that actually 
unlike love and death, like when you're in love and you talk about your love, it deepens the experience or death. You lose a loved one. You talk about memories of their, their death and the awareness of our, it deepens our awareness. He's like comedy almost always when you talk about it, it, it distances you from it. It, it, Unless it's, you're really nuanced. He's like, this is why we don't have that many theories of Hmm. comedy. And so I, I, so I think that, Something about the gospel is a, is a comic story, and that like, and this is why it's very interesting stuff he does in the book with Hegel because there's Hegel sees this like the the contradiction of you know what's more opposite than God and death or the mm. that's basically shorthand for infinite infinitude right. and all these things he thinks in this and it's 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 a comic story. There's it's a, the, the cross is tragic and yet comic at the same time. And you, you think about it. So all the, so I think that on one level, this is just to say, I think Jensen gets the comic nature of the, and, and, you know, in, in Garish's defense, he does say dour, yeah. austere, right. British, the Vikings. <laughs> what, what, what would I do? I mean, but, but I do think as much as I love Garish, I do think this is where, uh, uh, it, it's a good tune, but I can't dance to right, it. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny as you were talking about that. For instance, I'm thinking in John 11. I mean, John 11 is such a rich passage, but at one point, um, if you know, it's, we often get lost in it because of the power of the text, but the mourners go from, from, from crying to laughing. Yeah. And then when Jesus says, roll over the stone, Mary goes, uh, in, in the King James Version, but Lord, he stinketh. stinketh. <laughs> I know, he stinketh. I mean, everybody, you could just bring out your dead. <laughs> but and and also, I think the you know in Mark's version of the resurrection, the women go, they see an empty tomb, and you know it's, it depends on how you translate it. But with terror and joy, they run as far away from it as they can. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's funny as I was thinking about getting ready for this podcast. I, this weekend, I had a kidney stone. And if you ever had a kidney stone, it's not a pleasant thing. And and it, it was funny. At one point, the pain and discomfort is so extreme. It it's unlike anything else. It it, it reduces you to the animal. It reduces me to the animal level. I I mean, there's I've had it. You know, my system produces them. And there've been multiple times where I just really death felt like that would have been an improvement because you just can't. If you've had them, they're just awful. And it's funny. I mean, I was even at one point just trying to get from one minute to the next, hoping the pain would stop. And I even had a self-reflection. I go, I don't even care to pray. I, can't, I mean, I was, felt like I'd been reduced to that. It's funny. The next morning, um, you know, I woke up and I was the pain was gone. And it just strikes me a little bit about um, – it, 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 for whatever reason, talking then that Sunday morning, I, you know, I, I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to preach, but the sermon was hope. And I, I thought about that in terms of, and again, I've walked with people through horrendous illnesses, you know, and, and watched a lot of people die. Um, but there's a sense where I didn't believe in a resurrection on Saturday in the midst of, of my pain. I didn't believe in anything other than my pain. And it reminded me of it kind of stripped away so much as I was reflecting on talking about hope on Sunday morning. It just renewed for me the idea that this is an article of faith, and um, that it's a gift in some levels to believe in it. 
And I mean that not as a gift as, oh, it's great, but it's a necessary gift to be able to hold on to that truth. Um, but boy, I, I saw um, uh, in Sunday where we, we celebrate our oldest members, 103, and he was alive and so fun and just laughing and making jokes. And we baptized two girls, two sisters, whose life has not been easy, but they're loved by extraordinary people, a grandmother and some extended family in our church. And we celebrated the new life of coming into the faith. And, you know, I was, I said to the congregation, where do you want to show people that there's hope? I said, look around you. And to me, there's something always transcendent about that. There's something that feels like, um, you know, I, I've shared this story before. I, um, I think I have anyway. Uh, early on, one of my early churches, I watched a couple who had been married for 65 years say goodbye to each other. He was dying. It was the last night he was alive. And it was just one of the most heartbreaking and beautiful things I ever watched. And as I turned to walk away, I prayed with them, and they, you know, they were holding each other. And he looked at me and said, I'll see you later. Hmm. And um, it felt like it was true. Yeah, and I think the torture of the holidays is, yeah. are that there's set up for kind of false ideals, like the, yeah. the, like the like every like expectations, expectations, yeah. and we put all our time and money and energy into these things. That and then really we realize how conflicted we all are about you know so many of our relationships and in our own story. I mean, again, it's this kind of like... And our faith. Yeah. Conflicts within our faith. Yeah. And I think that part of hope, it's like, you know, this kind of... That McGowan says, you know, this comedy is born out of this lack and excess. And I think real hope is born out of the interaction of that kind of lack and excess, of the agony yeah. and the ecstasy. I mean, that... It, it really being... Pre and not... It, it doesn't... Real faith and real hope doesn't suppress those realities, but it actually allows you to be present to them in a way uh, that is true and real. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Come, Jesus, born to save. 